Section 4 of Crypt City of the Deathless One by Henry Kuttner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Edith Keswick of Southern Ohio. Crypt City of the Deathless One by Henry Kuttner. 7. He remembered, dimly, what happened after that. It was like a series of fantastic visions, nightmare flashes of memory. At the bottom of the spiral was a cave, reminiscent of Chan and the other cities of the ancients Garth had seen. Enigmatic machines loomed here and there. Unlike Chan, this city was lighted with the pale glow that came out of the walls and high-domed ceilings. Cavern after cavern, peopled with the silicate creatures, filled with the dead machines of the ancients, and finally, an immense cave, its floor slanting up to a raised dais at one end. On the platform a throne of black metal stood, and seated upon it was a gigantic four-armed robot, larger than any Garth had ever seen before. Standing, it would have been twelve feet tall, he judged. Garth got only a glimpse of this. He was carried on swiftly to a smaller cavern where metal doors lined the walls. One of these was unlocked. He, with the other Earthmen, was carried within and dumped unceremoniously on the floor. The Zarno departed, clanging the door shut after them. Then, silence. Garth staggered to his feet, staring around. The cell was oddly familiar. He had been in it, or one like it, five years ago with Doc Willard. The silvery light came from the wall, and there was a grating in the door. That was all. He reached the grating and peered out. Two Zarno were on guard not far away. The lock, it might be possible to pick it, Garth thought, but the silicate creatures were invulnerable, so that would do no good. Captain Brown's clipped voice said, Where the hell are we, Garth? Huh? Oh, you're awake. Garth laughed harshly. You should have waked up half an hour ago. Not that it would have done any good. Brown stood up stiffly. What do you mean? What's happened? The others were waking now. For a few moments, the cell was a babble of questions. One of the Zarno came briefly to the grill in the door and looked in. Shocked quiet greeted him. After he had gone, Garth took advantage of the silence to say... I'll tell you what's been going on, and then I'm going to sleep. I'll go to sleep anyway unless I talk fast. I'm dead beat. Samson squinted at the door. Tough customers. Shoot, Garth. I've got a hunch we're in a bad spot. We are. Listen. Briefly, Garth explained what had happened. There were questions and counter-questions. You can speak their lingo, eh? That won't help, Brown. They can't be invulnerable. They are, to our weapons, silicate life. When will they sacrifice us? Paula asked, a little shaken, though she tried not to show it. Garth shrugged. I don't know. Maybe I can talk them out of it. God knows. They worship the gods, the ancients, I suppose. But they know we're not gods. So that's that. Well... They talked inconclusively. 
Samson casually wandered over to the door, found a twisted scrap of wire, and used it on the lock. After a while, he called softly to the others. This thing's a snap. It won't keep us in here. Garth came over. There are guards. It's no use. One of the Zarno approached and peered in through the grill. Karn has said you will not be hungry long. Tomorrow you will all die. You eat like creatures of the forest, do you not? What's he saying? Samson murmured. Nothing important. Garth switched to the ancient tongue. It would be dangerous to kill us. We are messengers of the gods. We will believe that, the Zarno said, when one of the gods tells us so. He nodded impassively and retreated. Paula touched Garth's arm. Isn't there any way? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. There's light here. There's none in the other cities of the ancients. That means the power source still works here. If we can find it... Garth couldn't look at her, knowing they were doomed to die the next day. He shrugged, turned away, and found an empty corner. Ignoring the others, he tried to relax on the hard floor. His brain just wasn't working now. It was fagged out. He had a vague hunch that there might be a way out, but he was too exhausted to follow up now. A few hours sleep was vital. But he slept past dawn. When he awoke, he saw the others lying motionless, their eyes fixed in the blank stare of the Noctili trance. Glancing at the chronometer on Brown's wrist, Garth figured swiftly. It was past dawn. That meant there was little time left in which to act, provided action was possible. But sleep had refreshed him, though his muscles still ached painfully. He was beginning to remember what his hunch had been. When he and Doc Willard had been captives, there had been guards only at night. During the long Ganymedian day, none was necessary, for the Noctili poison had been active then. By day, the Zarno thought, men of flesh were trapped and helpless. Unless... Garth moved quietly to the door. Through the grill he saw the cave, empty of life. There were no guards. He was glad he had slept past dawn, so that the Zarno were able to believe him entranced like the others. But what now? Escape? To where? There was still power in the lost city. Perhaps the weapons of the ancients still existed. Weapons stronger than guns to conquer the Zarno. But regardless of that, it was necessary to find a hiding place. This was the day of sacrifice. Ironic thought, a hiding place in an underground city teeming with the Zarno. Garth shrugged. The door was locked, he discovered, and it took time to find the twisted wire Samson had used. Even then, Garth was unable to manipulate the intricate tumblers. He scowled, chewing his lip and eyeing the wire. Samson's skilled fingers were necessary. He roused the red-haired giant and led him to the door. Samson looked straight ahead, his eyes dull. He obeyed when Garth spoke, but that was all. Was his skill sufficiently instinctive to be used now? There was only one way to find out. Garth put the wire in Samson's hand. Unlock the door. He had to repeat the command twice before Samson understood. 
Then the big man bent, fumbling with the lock, working with agonized slowness. Hours seemed to drag past before Samson straightened. Garth tried the door. It opened. The first step was accomplished, anyhow. The others would be more difficult. He was unfamiliar with the underground city. How the devil could he evade the Zarno and find a hiding place? Alone, he would have a better chance, but he had twelve companions with him. He spoke to each of them. Follow me. You understand? Follow me until I tell you to stop. Move as quietly as you can. Then he led them out of the cell. The city, as he speedily learned, was a labyrinth. Luckily, there were innumerable cross passages, and all the cities of the ancients had been built along a similar plan. Garth knew the layout of Chan, and that helped him now, but there were times when he had to move fast, and the others walked as though striding through water. Quick, in here, fast. And they would follow him into a side tunnel, while the heavy metallic footsteps of the Zarno approached like drums of doom but there was no place to hide permanently. Worst of all, a distant clanging sounded presently, and Garth guessed what that meant. The escape of the captives had been discovered. Gingerly, he skirted the huge cave where the dais was, glimpsing the giant robot in the distance and shepherding his charges along a twisting corridor that led down. But the footsteps were growing louder, Garth was almost certain that they were following. He increased his pace with wary glances behind him. Unless he found a side passage soon, the swift Zarna would speedily overtake them. Faster! Move faster! The Earthmen tried to obey. Like automatons they ran, their eyes fixed and staring, while the clamor of pursuit grew louder. Looking back, Garth saw a flash of shining movement. The Zarno. Faster! There were no side tunnels. They came out into a small cave, completely empty. It was a cul-de-sac. Light was reflected brilliantly from three walls. The fourth wall was dead black, neither rock nor stone. It was like a jet curtain blocking their path. Garth jerked to a halt, knowing the utter hopelessness of futility. They were trapped now. The Zarno were pursuing, unmistakably. Garth took out his useless gun. His face was set in grim lines. What good were bullets against silicate creatures? But waiting helplessly was far worse. At least he could try to fight. He had forgotten to command his charges to halt. Glancing around, Garth saw something that made his eyes widen in incredulous amazement. Paula was walking toward the black curtain. The wall... She stepped through it and vanished. Brown followed her, then another man, and another. Last of all, Samson, disappearing like a ghost through the blackness. Heavy footsteps whirled Garth about. Down the corridor he could see the flashing gleams that heralded the Zarno. His tight grin was a grimace. The hell with you, pals, he said softly and turned again. He raced in pursuit of the others leaped through the dark curtain. There was an instant of grinding, jolting shock that left him blind. He staggered, caught himself, and saw that he was in a passage that led toward a distant brightness. 
silhouetted against the glow were the moving figures of his companions. He sprinted after them, but he did not overtake them until they had emerged in a cavern unlike any he had seen before. Okay, stop, stop, that's right. They halted, motionless. Garth looked behind him, but there was no trace of the Zarno. This cave was lighted like the others, but there were fewer machines. Row after row of the giant four-armed robots stood like an army on the dark metal floor. The walls were jeweled, thousands of pearly disks studding them. A low humming came from a machine nearby, a tripod with lenses surmounting a square box. Garth walked through it. He hesitated, glancing around again, and then peered through the lens. A voice seemed to speak within his brain. Invoke the rule of silence. After that, Jangaro Lo declared that space travel was inevitable and might solve the natural problems of our civilization. It had spoken in the ancient tongue, and, at the same time, Garth had seen a picture of a huge four-armed being with a bulging yet oddly symmetrical head, standing on a rostrum addressing a multitude. Ed! The voice rang through the silent cavern. Ed Garth! You made it. Garth whirled. A man had emerged from the cavern mouth nearby, a short, slight man with white hair and a lined, tired face. He ran forward, his ragged garments flapping, his eyes shining. Garth said, in a voice like a prayer, Duck Willard, you're alive! Eight. Willard gripped his friend's hands. Alive, yes, if you could call it that. I've been living for only one thing. I knew you'd come back with help if you got through, and you did. The cavern was spinning around Garth. He braced himself, staring at the man. Doc, I've been going crazy for five years. I thought I... I killed you. Willard stared. Killed me? But... That altar... The words tumbled out of Garth's mouth. I couldn't remember much. That damned noctili poison. I lost my memory, but I knew I tried to knife you while you were stretched out on an altar. Sympathy showed in Willard's eyes. Good Lord, Ed. And you could only remember that. You must have gone through hell. I did. I, I didn't know what. But we planned it. The whole thing. A fake ceremony to impress the Zarno and give us a chance to escape. They thought we might be messengers from their gods, the ancients, and we told them so, after we'd learned their language. The sacrifice, it was a fake, that's all. And it went through as we planned. You pretended to stab me, and while the Zarno were bowing and genuflecting, we got away. At least you did. They recaptured me. Garth shook his head. Tell me, I... I don't know, really. Willard glanced at the Earthmen, curiosity in his eyes. You've a bit of explaining to do yourself, Ed. Are they Noctili? Yeah, I worked out an antitoxin, but it was stale. Quickly, Garth explained what had happened. I see. Well, got a cigarette? Willard sucked the smoke luxuriously into his lungs. That's good. Five years since I've had one of these. Sit down and let's talk. No chairs, but try the floor. Okay, what happened to you? 
Nothing much. When we staged our fake ceremony, the Zarnor are plenty religious. I headed for that little black temple in the forest. Know the place? Yeah, that's where they caught us. Well, it leads to freedom. There's an underground tunnel that takes you out into a camouflaged hangar. The ancients had anti-gravity. I found that out later, and their flying boats were hidden there. They're still good, Ed. They still work. I'd have got away if the Zarno hadn't been right on my heels. So? Willard nodded. The controls are easy. A couple of push buttons and a steering lever. I'd got a few feet off the ground when a couple of Zarno jumped into the boat with me. They heaved me out and followed. The flying boat went off to Mars or somewhere, I suppose. It kept on going straight up. But there were others. Only I've never been able to get to them. If I could have, I'd have headed for Oretown pronto. Garth's eyes were glowing. If we could reach that hangar, Doc, we could escape. All of us. Sure. Only we can't. Too many guards. It's impossible to get out of this city. I've tried often enough. The only way I managed to survive was by entering the darkness. His voice trailed away. That black wall? It's a vibration barrier. None of the Zarno can pass it. It shakes them to pieces, destroys them. The ancients made it, I suppose, to guard their library. Willard extended his hand in a sweeping gesture. This is it. All the knowledge of the ancients, tremendous knowledge, compiled here for reference. If we could only get it out to the world. Garth remembered something. Does it mention their power source? Sure. I've had nothing to do for five years but study the library. I could put my finger on the wiretape recording that explains the process. It's an intricate business, but we could duplicate it on Earth easily enough. Paula would be glad to know that, Garth thought. The secret of the ancient's power that could replace oil and coal. A vital secret to Earth now. Willard was still talking. I ran when I heard you coming. I'd been studying one of the recordings, but I thought that Zarno might have got through the barrier somehow. It doesn't harm humans, luckily, or the robots. I've learned a lot in five years. How did you manage to keep alive? I found food. The ancients stocked up this place. Hills! Willard grimaced. They kept me alive, and there was a machine for making water out of the air. But I'm hungry for a steak. Garth scowled. Doc, one more thing. You know what I mean? Willard sobered. I get it, Ed. The cure. Whether or not I... Whether or not you found the cure for the Silver Plague. It hasn't been checked yet. It's still killing thousands on Earth. So... I wondered a lot about that. Well, the answer is yes, Ed. I know the answer. The cure? Yes. I worked it out completely with the aid of the ancient's library. They were studying it too, but they didn't have quite the right angle. However, they were able to supply the missing data I needed. Willard took from his pocket a small notebook. I've had five years to work on it. So far, of course, it's theoretical. But everything checks. It's the cure, all right. Somehow, Garth didn't feel much excitement. Five years ago, he thought, that notebook would have saved Moira's life. Now, well, it would still save life. 
it would save Earth, but... He shrugged. Two good reasons to get back to civilization. The cure and the secret of the power source. Willard nodded. The ancients died of the Silver Plague, indirectly. They tried to escape by changing their bodies. The library told me that. Their bodies? How? Well, you've seen the robots in Shan and here. Originally, they were the servants of the ancients. Intelligent? No, not the way you mean. They could be conditioned to perform certain tasks, but usually they were controlled telepathically by the ancients, who wore specialized helmet transmitters for the purpose. The robots had radioatomic brains that reacted to telepathic commands. Then, when the Silver Plague struck, the ancients tried to escape by transplanting not their physical brains, but their minds. I don't quite know how it was done, but the thought patterns, the individual mental matrix of each ancient was somehow impressed on the radioatomic brain of the robot. Their minds were put into the robot's brains and controlled the metal bodies. So they escaped the plague, but they died anyway. Human, intelligent minds can't be transplanted successfully into artificial bodies that way. So, in a hundred years, they were dead. All of them. So that was the secret of the ancients' disappearance from Ganymede. They had taken new bodies, and those bodies had killed them through their sheer alienage. Willard crushed out his cigarette stub. All the knowledge of the ancients at my fingertips, Ed. You can imagine what research I've done. I should have thought you'd have looked for a weapon against the Zarno, Garth said practically. The ancients were able to conquer them. I did. First of all, after I'd learned how to work the recording machines. A certain ray will destroy them, a vibrationary beam that shakes them to pieces, disrupts their molecular structure. The only trouble is, Willard grins sardonically, it takes a damn good machine shop to build such a projector. Oh, we couldn't... We couldn't. The ancients left plenty of apparatus here, but not the right kind. Mostly records and a lot of robots. Sorry, Ed, but unless you brought good weapons with you, you're stuck here with me. Garth looked around to where his companions were standing motionless. Yeah, looks like it. Unless we can break through to that hangar of anti-gravity ships. We can't. The city's full of Zarno, day and night, and there are always guards outside. Garth sighed. The trouble is, unless we get out, nothing can stop the Silver Plague, not to mention the fuel shortage. Wait a minute. You said the Zarno were superstitious. We tricked them once with a fake ceremony. Couldn't we try that again? I did, Willard told them. It didn't work. The Zarno know what human beings are like now. Only the gods would impress them, those robots that were once their masters. Garth stopped breathing for a moment. There's a way, he said. Willard looked at him. I don't think so. When I saw you'd come back, I hoped for a minute. But it's no use. The Zarno are invulnerable to any weapons we can create here. We can't get out of the city. You said the gods would impress them. The gods are dead. The ancients. Suppose one of them came back. Willard caught his breath. 
What do you mean? Originally, the robots were controlled telepathically. Why can't that work now, for us? Don't you imagine I thought of that? But it's no use without one of them helmet transmitters. And there aren't any... Willard sucked in his breath. Hold on. I'd forgotten something. There's one transmitter left. Just one. But it's not portable. Swell. Wait a minute. Come over here. The older man led the way to a tripod projector, found a cylindrical black object, and slipped it into place. Look at this. Peering through the eyepieces, Garth recognized the great cavern with the dais at one end. The scene shifted, showing the gigantic 12-foot robot sitting on its throne, a solid block of black metal. Watch, Willard said. A voice spoke in Garth's mind in the ancient tongue. It was necessary to impress the superstitious Zarno. Thus we created this robot god and placed it on its throne. Its radioatomic brain could be controlled telepathically by means of a transmitter concealed within the throne. The scene changed, showing the back of the ebony block. A hand, inhuman, six-fingered, came into view, the hand of an ancient. It touched a concealed spring, and the throne's back slid open, revealing a compartment easily large enough to hold a man. Here is the transmitter. It is placed on the head and the will focused on issuing telepathic commands to the robot god on the throne. There was more, but now Garth watched with only half his mind. He scarcely saw the details of the ritual ceremony with which the ancients had impressed the Zarno. When the vision vanished, he swung about, a new light in his eyes. That's it, Doc. That robot god's going to come to life. Willard frowned. Mmm. The gadget isn't difficult to operate. I've learned that much from the recordings. You just think hard. But the god will come to life and summon the Zarno. All of them. The rest of you can escape while I'm keeping him busy. Hold on, the doctor snapped. Why you? It's my job if it's anybody's. Sorry, Garth said. It doesn't work out that way. You're the only guy that can cure the Silver Plague. Unless you get out safely, it's the end of Earth. Willard didn't answer. Garth went on swiftly. You could reach the hangar if it weren't for the Zarno. Well, I'll get inside that throne and start the ruckus. That'll give you time. His voice was emotionless. How do you know you could reach that temple cave? The city's full of Zarno. Garth shrugged. It's a chance we've got to take. The only one. Willard chewed his lip. Why the devil do you have to be the one? Because I know the ancient tongue. The robot can talk, can't it? Well, it's between you and me, Doc, and you're the boy who can cure the silver plague. You can't get away from that. I, I suppose so, but... You know the way out. Give me time to reach the temple and begin the ceremony. Then lead the others out. They'll obey you. They're in the Noctali trance. Get him to the hangar and light out for Oretown. Be sure to take the recording of the power source with you. You crazy fool, Willard said through stiff lips. What about Moira? Garth's face went gray. Moira died years ago, he said carefully. It was the Silver Plague. Doc 
didn't reply, but he nodded as though he had unexpectedly learned the answer to a problem that had been puzzling him. Okay, Garth said. You know what to do. Give me time enough to make it. Then get out of here with the others. Fast. Willard's hand gripped Garth's. Ed, forget it. He moved toward the tunnel mouth. Paula, he saw, was lying nearby, her red-gold hair cascading about her lovely face. Garth stood looking down at her for a long moment. Then he went on into the tunnel that waited for him. He did not look back. Cautiously, he stepped through the black curtain, ready to retreat at the sight of any Zarno, but the cavern was empty. If he could make it. Noiselessly, he stole up the passage. Once, he froze against the wall at the sound of distant footsteps, but they faded and were gone. He came out at last into a corridor he recognized. Far away, he saw the flashing gleam of the Zarno's silicate skins. They were approaching, but apparently had not seen him yet. He raced for the archway that led into the temple cavern. If there were any Zarno there, it would be fatal. But luck favored him. The immense room was empty. At the far end, the huge robot sat on its jet throne. Garth sprinted across the floor. He could hear voices growing louder in the distance and the thumping of the Zarno's footsteps, but he dared not risk a glance behind. Could he make it? He jerked to a halt, springing behind the throne, its bulk temporarily hiding him. The Zarno were in the temple cave now. He could tell that by their voices. Hastily, he sought the secret spring. A panel opened in the ebon block. It was exactly as he had seen it on the tripod recording machine, a fair-sized cubicle with light coming faintly through a vision slit in one wall. Garth wedged himself in and slid the panel shut behind him, gasping with relief. Peering through the slit, he found he could see the entire cavern. Three Zarno were approaching. The robot, seated on the throne above him, was, of course, invisible. Garth stared around, trying to remember the details of the ancient's recording. A helmet transmitter. There it was, attached by wires to the low ceiling. Warily, Garth slipped it upon his head. What now? A flat black plate, like a diaphragm, was set in the wall slightly above his head as he crouched. This hiding place, he realized, had been built for the larger bodies of the ancients. Closing his eyes, he tried to concentrate. Doc Willard had said the helmet transmitters worked that way. Telepathy. Willpower. Stand up, he commanded silently to the unseen robot above him. Stand up. There was a stir of movement. Garth, peering through the slit, saw the three Zarno jerk to a halt. One of them cried, The gods return! Kraen Lerov! The gods! Garth put his mouth close to the diaphragm. His words, amplified, rolled out through the cavern in the ancient tongue. Yes, the gods return! Summon the Zarno! Let none fail to obey the summons! Shouts went up. The Zarno whirled and raced away. For the moment, Garth was alone. He concentrated on the transmitter again, commanding the robot to move forward to the edge of the dais till he could see its back. Raise your arm. Step back. 
forward again, back. It worked. The robot obeyed his mental commands, awkwardly, but it obeyed. Back, sit on the throne. A jarring crash deafened Garth momentarily. He had forgotten how huge the robot was. No doubt the creature should lever itself down gradually into its seat instead of dropping a ton of metal solidly on the black block. Footsteps again. The Zarna were beginning to pour into the cavern. Huge as it was, they almost filled it. They flung themselves flat, crawling toward the dais, nodding their misshapen heads in an awkward rhythm. Their voices were raised in a deep-throated chant. Garth concentrated. At his mental command, the robot rose and paced slowly forward. Craw and lar! Garth put his mouth to the diaphragm. His voice crashed out. The gods have returned. Hear me, O Zarno. We hear. Let no Zarno fail to come to the temple of the gods. Have the guards left their posts? Nay, nay. Summon them, Garth roared. When the gods speak, all must hearken. Let every Zarno come to me now or die. Some of the creatures raced away and returned with others. The chant continued. Have any Zarno failed to heed my summons? None, none, we are here, all. Garth nearly shouted with relief. There were almost 2,000 Zarno in the cavern, he judged, all genuflecting before the dais, and that meant the city was unguarded, that Doc Willard could lead the others to the anti-gravity hangar. If he could hold the Zarno here. Garth shook his head, feeling oddly dizzy. He tried to concentrate. At his mental order, the giant robot lifted its arms in symbolic, ritualistic gestures he remembered from the tripod recorder. But the dizziness persisted. Garth realized that his lungs were hurting. He found it difficult to draw a deep breath. Air. He needed fresh air. The inhuman lungs of the ancients probably were able to endure lack of oxygen far better than the human organism. In any case, Garth realized that the air was getting stale. He investigated the vision slit. It was barred by a glassy, transparent pane that seemed hard as steel. Well, it would be necessary to open the panel behind him, a few inches anyway. Garth's hand sought for the spring. It was in plain sight. There was no need to conceal it within the throne's compartment. He pressed it. There was a low grinding that stopped almost immediately. Garth tried again. Useless. The mechanism, somehow, was jammed. Probably its mechanism had failed when the huge robot had crashed down on the throne. That meant... Garth's fingers tried to find some purchase on the smooth surface of the panel. He failed. Azarno called a question. Garth turned back to the eye slit, trying to fight back his dizziness. Heads were lifted, he saw watching him inquiringly, as though the silicate creatures expected something. Well, he made the robot move again, its arms reaching out in ancient ceremonial gestures. A gasp of awe came from the Zarno. Their chant thundered out, deeper, sonorous, and inhuman. Garth felt the beginning of a throbbing ache in his temples. He was trapped here. How long could he stand it? He was human, not one of the ancients. 
He needed air. He held the Zarno, but not for long. Once more, bulbous heads were lifted, oval eyes watching him inquiringly. They were expecting something. What? Garth tried to remember what he had seen in the recorder. More heads were lifted. Garth made the robot step forward, raising its metal arms. He had to say something, anything that would hold the Zarno quiet for a while, long enough for Doc and the others to escape. Words he had forgotten since childhood came suddenly, unexpectedly to him. The English phrases meant nothing to the Zarno, but the sonorous, powerful chant kept them silent. He shall deliver thee from the snare of the hunter and from the noisome pestilence. Thou shalt not be afraid for any terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day. A thousand shall fall beside thee, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. The agony flamed up again in Garth's brain, consuming, terrible. The huge robot body of the dais swayed, caught itself, and the chant thundered out again through the great cavern. If I take the wings of the morning and remain in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there also shall thy hand lead me. The distant, harsh clangor of a bell sounded. Garth had heard it before, when he had crossed the threshold of the black temple in the forest. At the sound, the Zarno stirred, and a few of them sprang up. Garth thrust out his hand, fighting back the pain that tore at him like white flame. His voice held them. The floods are risen, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voices. The floods lift up their waves. The waves of the sea are mighty and rage horribly, but yet the Lord, who dwelleth on high, is mightier. He held them. He held them speaking a tongue they did not know, while his mind shook under the impact of sanity-destroying pain. A slow, sick bitterness crept into his soul. Was this the end? Death here, prisoned on an alien world, so far from his home planet? Death. And for what? He closed his mind to the thought. Mentally, he paced Doc and the others through the tunnel, from the Black Temple to the hangar. Surely they must have reached it by now. Paula! That first glimpse he had had of the girl, in Tolomo's drinking hell, Moira, he had thought then, for an incredible instant. Yes, she had been like Moira. If the path of destiny had led elsewhere than to the Black Forest of Ganymede, the result might have been far different. He would not be dying here, alone, horribly alone. Moira, Paula, they were the same somehow, and Garth knew he had to keep going till he had saved Paula Trent. A little time, a few moments more, to keep the Zarno in check. He and Moira had been cheated of their lives, their futures, in some way he could not quite understand. But there remained Paula. She must not die. She and the others must get through. Ed. Garth's heart answered that soundless call. His lips formed the name Moira. She was there, beside him, and he did not question, did not even wonder. It was enough that she had come back. Her brown ringlets curled about the pale face he remembered, and the blue eyes held love and... something more. A message. What is it, Moira? What... He reached out hungry arms. Ed, it isn't only us. It's Earth. Don't stop now, Ed. A few more minutes to hold the Zarno back. 
that will be enough. Be strong. A little time more. Such a little time. And then you can rest. A phantom born of his delirium, Garth knew, but she was no less real for that. He tried to speak and failed. His chest constricted with pain. Outside the altar, the Zarno were stirring uneasily. I... I can't. You must. Anger swept through him. Why? We've been cheated of everything, Moira. Our heritage. She smiled at him, very tenderly. The grass is still green on the hills of earth, my lover. Have you forgotten? The little streams that go laughing down the valleys, the ocean surging up to the white beaches? There are still sunsets on earth, and men and women will see them for ages to come. Men who might have been our sons, women who might have been our daughters. And they are our children, Ed, as surely as though we had given them birth. But we are giving them life. There will be a future for mankind because of us. We have given up our own lives that our children may live and go on to glories we can never know ourselves. It is Earth that needs your help now, and it is something greater than either of us. Something greater? The Zarno were beginning to move forward, and some of them were sliding toward the passage. Garth, gasping for breath, summoned all his reserve energy. He seemed to feel Moira's cool hand on his shoulder, silently urging him on. Something greater. The days of man are but as grass, he croaked, and the amplified sound went thundering through the temple, halting the Zarna where they stood. They turned again to the altar. For he flourisheth as a flower of the field, for as soon as the wind goeth over, it is gone. He held them, somehow knowing that Moira stood beside him. Toward the end, Garth was no longer conscious of his surroundings. The Zarno swam before his eyes, changing, altering, and abruptly they vanished. In their place was... was... He saw Earth, as he remembered it, the loveliest planet of all. He saw the heartbreaking beauty of flaming sunsets over emerald seas, and the snowy purity of high peaks lifting above baking deserts. He felt the cold blast of earth winds on his cheeks, the stinging, exciting chill of mountain streams against his skin. There was the warm smell of hay, golden in the fields, the sharpness of eucalyptus and pine, the breath of the little bright flowers that grow only on earth. He heard the voices of earth, the chuckling of brooks and the deep shouting of the gale, the lowing of cattle, the sound of leaves rustling, and the crash of angry breakers. The soul of earth spoke to the man who would never see it again. He listened while he chanted the majestic, rolling syllables that kept the Zarno in check. Beside him was Moira, beneath him his own world, green and beautiful. And across the emerald planet men and women came marching, sunlight making a golden path for them as they moved out of darkness into the unknown brightness of the future. They were like gods, great-limbed, lovely, with eyes fearless as a falcon's, filled with laughter. Before their marching feet, the road of ages unrolled. Mighty cities reared to the blue skies of Earth, and ships went out beyond the stars, binding the galaxies and the universe with unbreakable chains of life. Outward and ever outward, the circles of humanity and civilization rippled. Men and women like gods, unafraid, knowing a life greater than ever before.
and they turned questioning eyes on Garth, asking him the question on which their existence depended. Will you save us? Will you give us life? Will you give us the future you yourself can never know? Garth answered them in his own way, with Moira beside him, for now it did not matter that he was dying. He had found something greater than he had ever known before. Through the temple, his voice rang like brazen trumpets. The wind bloweth, and the place thereof shall know it no more. A panel in the wall by his head lit up, making a square of brightness. He strained his eyes at it, discerning a picture, a scanner of some sort. It showed a transparent ovoid slanting up through the black trees of the forest, a ship with Doc Willard at the controls and eleven men and a girl in the vessel with him, a girl with red-gold hair going back to Earth with the knowledge that would save a world from destruction. He had not failed. The picture on the screen darkened. The burning ache in Garth's lungs grew worse. If he could breathe... On the dais, the robot swayed, its metal legs giving beneath its weight. The crash of its fall brought the Zarno to their feet, frozen with amazement for a moment. Then they moved forward like a wave. Garth saw them dimly through the vision slit. A white curtain of pain blotted them out. He was dying, he knew that. The shouts of the Zarno came to him faintly. The wind bloweth and the place thereof shall know it no more. But in that place the seeds of the future would grow. Once more Garth saw the children of Earth's unborn generations, and this time the question in their eyes was answered. They would live and go on, to the stars and beyond. Moira was beside him. Her cool hand touched his. She came into his arms and the white curtain flamed agonizingly for the last time. Then, mercifully, there was no more pain. Under the black throne, Garth's body lay motionless in its strange tomb. The Zarno's cries filled the temple as they mourned their dead god. But the man who had saved Earth did not hear them. End of Section 4 End of Crypt City of the Deathless One by Henry Kuttner. This has been a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.